listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we're going to conclude our series, Old School, and I'm going to let you in on a secret. Um, This has not been an easy series to preach, as you can imagine. Some of the topics that we've been dealing with are biblically, um, they're not easy because they, they tend to go against the grain of society, which is okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of that, and so that, that's all right. But um, I, I will tell you this. Today is an easy sermon in comparison to the last few weeks, and, and, and I'm actually a little relieved because, uh, uh, yeah, as you can imagine, it gets heavy. And um, it, it, it kind of hit me. Um, as the prayer team, they were praying for me earlier um, before first service. They meet in my office and, and they lay hands on me and pray for me. And when they said, you know, can we pray for you specifically for anything? And I said, well, today is much easier. And, and after they walked out of my office, it kind of hit me that that's, that's life. It's life. Like, sometimes we have to endure some of the, the stress, some of the hardships. It's just, that's life. But, but as a child of God, as a believer... In Christ Jesus, when we get to the end, it's all going to be worth it, right? So let me tell you, I've preached this whole series to get us to this point, and it's all worth it. Amen? It's all worth it. You, you might be at the end of it be like, well, that wasn't worth my time. But, but nevertheless, it helps me as a, as a human. So um, I just ask that you act a little human. Okay, so um, since I preached on hell last week, I felt that it was only appropriate for me to preach on heaven this week. Somebody say amen to that. It's much easier to preach on heaven than it is hell. Promise you that. Um, I, I gave you something last week not to look forward to. This week, I'm going to give you something to look forward to. So that's where we're heading with this. Uh, when I was growing up in church, we used to sing a lot of songs about heaven. I don't, I don't know why, but we did. We just sang a lot of songs about heaven. And, and what I remember is that the old school preachers would preach on hell, but we would sing about heaven. That, and, and that was almost weekly, almost weekly. They would preach about hell, we'd sing about heaven. And um, they, I guess it's the best of both worlds is what it was. But um, we used to sing some songs. If you know them, uh, maybe you can sing along with me. We used to sing songs like, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Anybody know that song? Oh, more than first service. Praise the Lord. This is the save group right here. Yeah. Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air. Coming after you and me, joy is ours to share. I'm the only one singing. What rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise. Heading for that jubilee, yonder, <laughs> yonder, we don't write songs of yonder anymore, yonder in the skies, you know what, oh what singing, oh what shouting, on that happy morning when we all shall rise, oh what glory, hallelujah, when we meet our blessed Savior in the skies, show of hands, anybody know that one, <laughs> there's, there's less. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Here it is. Cares all pass home at last, ever to rejoice. So we used to sing about it. 
We used to sing about these songs. Sing about heaven. and We like singing about heaven. But, but what I've noticed is that everybody likes singing about heaven. You don't even have to be a Christian. I'm not judging anyone, but you don't even have to be a Christian to sing about heaven. From Bruno Mars to Led Zeppelin. They sing about heaven, right? You, you know this. From Beyonce to Eric Clapton, they sing about heaven. From Guns N' Roses to the Los Lonely Boys, they sing about heaven. We like singing about heaven, and, and for good reason. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11 tells us why. It says, he, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. Like you've got this, this sense of eternity in your heart. Whether you admit it or not, you have some curiosity in, in, within you about what happens after this life. And the reason why you wonder about that is because God has put that, that out of his love, out of his grace, out of his mercy, God has put that sense within us. He has planted eternity in the human heart. It's kind of like this. There's this little boy that was out one day. He was flying his kite. And he kept letting the, the, the kite string out. And it, and it kept going higher and kept going higher and kept going higher and, until finally you couldn't see it anymore. It was, it was up in the clouds. It was so high. And, and someone came up to the little boy and they said, how do you even know your kite is still up there? And the little boy looked at it and looked back at him. He said, well, I can still feel its tug. That's eternity, church. It does not matter what we go through in life. We still feel the tug of eternity. It's still there. You can go through the hardest season of your life and it's there. You can be on the mountaintop enjoying life to its fullest, but that tug is still there because God has put that there because he loves you. He does not want you walking into eternity without feeling that tug of, I, I've, got to, I, I've got to figure out what happens after this life. It's natural for us to wonder what happens next. And we're all going to experience eternity. Now hear me out on this. Believers and unbelievers, everyone will experience, experience eternity, but it will not be the same eternity. Daniel cleared this up for us. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. He writes and he says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. So he tells us, Daniel reveals to us that every single person will experience eternity. Some will experience everlasting life. Others will experience everlasting shame and disgrace. Obviously, obviously we want to be in, in, included in the number that experiences everlasting life. We used to sing this song that says, when the roll is called up yonder. There's that word again, yonder. I don't even know what it means. I guess it's like over there, up there, somewhere, yonder, there. Yeah, not here. But when the roll is called there, yonder. When, when the roll is called there, I want to make sure that I'm included in that number that it gets to experience everlasting life. The Apostle Paul told us in Colossians chapter 3, um, let me just read verses 1 and 2 here. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Here's, here's what he says. Paul says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. 
Paul's telling us, he says, listen, you're going to go through some stuff. But don't become so focused on your surroundings. Don't become so focused on, on the turmoil. Don't become so focused on the events that, that you lose sight of what he re- refers to as the realities of heaven. You know, sometimes I think we, we buy into this lie that, that heaven is, is just a, a figment of our imagination. Like it's just something that's, that's, that's out there that we're just dreaming about, but it's not a real tangible place. Paul says, no. It's the realities of heaven that you need to set your sights on. Paul says, this thing is real. And if you want to think about it, you've got to put your mind set on the realities of what is going to happen. And so we think about eternity. We we wonder what is happening next. However, I'm going to say some things here. Get ready. We don't always think about heaven as somewhere that we want to be. I'm going to say some things today that some of you think, but you're too afraid to say out loud. And I get it. I understand. Because you're worried that if you say it out loud, God is going to zap you. And and there's part of your problem is that you've lost the idea of who God is. But, but, But understand this. I have to say some things because it's reality of what's really going on in our hearts. And sometimes when we think about heaven... It doesn't feel very appealing. It, 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 it doesn't feel appetizing to us. We certainly don't want to spend eternity in the alternative. I mean, I preached about that last week. We don't want that. So hell, hell doesn't sound appealing. But if we're honest, eternity, forever and ever. Think about that. There's no end to it. There's no end. Like, it just lasts with, with no end, it's just forever and ever, eternity in heaven, to some of us, it doesn't sound very entertaining. Don't shoot the messenger, I'm just saying what some of you are thinking, but this is most likely because of our misunderstanding of what heaven really is and what heaven isn't. And so here's what I want to do for the next few moments. I want to show you what heaven isn't, but more importantly, what heaven is. Because, church, I want to give us a good understanding of what we should set our minds on, the reality of what heaven truly is, what we can look forward to. As believers, as Christ followers, there is so much for us to look forward to, but we just don't know it. And I hope that before you walk out of this room, you're kind of homesick for a place that you've never been yet. One of the most frequently asked questions about heaven and listen I'm sure most pastors get this I have certainly received this question numerous times will my pet be in heaven some of you have wondered some of you have asked me this will my pet be in heaven you know and 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 so for all of you pet owners that are concerned about your pet's afterlife I just need to get this over with so you can stay focused because the answer is so simple it is All dogs go to heaven, cats don't. Okay, it's that simple. It truly is. It's that simple. Um, If you have a cat and you're feeding that thing, you're feeding the spawn of Satan. And I'm allergic to it, and I don't like it, okay? So dogs go to heaven, cats don't. I'm just kidding. But I can prove it to you, though. Dogs are mentioned in the Bible. House cats are not. God wouldn't even include them in the Word. It's a true story right there. In all seriousness, this is is not addressed in God's word. 
It's just not. And in an effort to bring comfort, some people will say that your pet being in heaven, if that would bring you comfort, if that brings you joy in, in heaven, then of course your pet will be there. And, and I'm telling you, there's just speculation with that. Um, two weeks ago, most of you don't know this, but you've heard me talk about our miniature Dotson CC that we've had forever. Um, two weeks ago, tomorrow, um, we woke up and CC had passed away, and we knew the day was coming. And two weeks ago tomorrow, I had to bury our family pet of 16 years. And uh, it's it a hard day, hard day. I mean, last week was a tough week for the McKinley household. And, um, and, and I, I can be honest with you now, I probably couldn't talk about it last week, um, but, but now I can tell you that when I took that dog outside wrapped in her favorite blanket and I, I buried her in our backyard and I laid that dog in the hole, I was, I was uh, like bawling, grown man in the backyard, broad daylight, like, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like weeping, like openly weeping. I'm not, I'm not afraid to tell you. I was, it, was, it hit me. But as I laid that dog in, in that hole and it hit me and I told Mandy about this this week and, and I told her, I said, listen, um, I, I don't know what to do with this, but as I laid Cece in the hole and started to bury her, I realized that I love that dog more than I love some people. True, it's true. I'm telling I'm just saying what you think sometimes, okay? I, I, I love that dog. And I even told Mandy this. I said, if, if our dogs go to heaven, like, I would rather have Cece there than some people. Like, and that's a problem, right, church? I mean, I mean, like, I need to pray about this, right? No? No, it's perfectly acceptable? You're just, you're selfish. You're thinking about your pet, okay? That's, that's where you're at with it. Don't lead me astray, Okay? This issue is not addressed in the scriptures. Well, probably me loving my dog more than people is addressed in scripture. But, but do our pets, do our, our animals, do they go to heaven? It's not addressed in scripture. Therefore, I cannot deny or confirm if your pet crosses the rainbow bridge when it dies. I have no idea, but you just pray about it. And I'm sure God will reveal it to you and whatever. But that's not what I want to talk to you about. Um, I can't, I can't put any proof with that, but give me the opportunity to give you some absolutes about heaven because these are the things that I think are very important that we can back up with Scripture that, that you need to know. The first thing that I want you to know about heaven, and it's, it's a misconception, is that heaven is not about us floating around from cloud to cloud listening to cherubs play their harps. And I think that some people, especially men, Especially men. Like, some women are okay with that. They're like, yeah, give me a cucumber water in my hand and, you know, I'll be fine. No, no. For us men in the room and, and even some other sane people in the room, um, we, that's not heaven to us. Like, like I, I really don't have anything against little chubby angels. I don't. I don't. But that would get old quickly. And that's not what heaven is. Heaven, church, is a physical place. Like, it, it's going to be extremely tangible. Like you're going to be able to stand in it, feel it. Heaven is a physical place. I want you to listen to how John described it as God revealed it to him. And I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 21. This is the revelation that, that God gave to John while he was on the Isle of Patmos. And, and, and God reveals like what's going to happen. What's, what's to come? He reveals these things to John. Now, let me say something to you about the book of Revelation. This is just going to help you out and um, make you look smarter than what you are. When you refer to it, it's not revelations. It's revelation. 
There's no S. It's one revelation. God gave John one revelation. This is it, okay? So Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Let's start there. John writes this, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Somebody say new. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say new. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love this. Christ looks at John as, as he's revealing this, this revelation to him. And he tells him, I don't want you to get this wrong. Write it down. This is important. This is trustworthy. This is true. These are the things to come. These are the things that will happen. I want you to write this down because it's trustworthy and true. Now, the first thing I want to point out about what, what, what John reveals to us here is that in eternal life, there is a new heaven and a new earth. Now, that, that may not sound like much to you, but this, this is a, a very important concept for us. There's a new heaven and a new earth. When, when he creates the new earth, what you have to understand, church, is that the corruption of this old world will no longer rule and reign. What we are accustomed to in this life we will no longer be under the influence of, of corruption. Uh, all that is wrong with this world will be made right when he makes all things new, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. All that we know to be wrong with this place will be made right. But here's, here's one of the best parts of this whole thing. King Jesus, and he will be King Jesus. He will take his rightful throne. King Jesus, our Savior, will rule and reign from Jerusalem, but it's not the Jerusalem that you're used to. Mandy and I have visited Israel. We have been to Jerusalem, beautiful place. And I, I know the scripture says that God, he, he wrote his name in that land. And tell, I tell you this, you can feel it when you're there. I mean, there's just a presence of the Lord that is there with you. Through, but, but I'm telling you, it will not compare to this new Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to rule from new Jerusalem. And it's hard for us to comprehend how great this city is since there is no comparison on this planet right now. God revealed to John in detail, in Revelation 21, he reveals to him in detail this new Jerusalem, this new city. Let me just kind of sum it up for you and, and, and tell you what, what he revealed to John. The city of God, New Jerusalem, it's square. Each side of this city is approximately 1,500 miles long. Each, each side, 1,500 miles long with, with walls around it that are 200 feet high. 
So it's fortified with a wall on each side. In comparison, the footprint of this city, it measures from the eastern seaboard of of the United States, that's the Atlantic coast, all the way to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. This city is that large. John was, was able to see this, and God gave him the details of its measurements. Not only does it go from the eastern seaboard all the way to Colorado, but it would also reach all the way from the Canadian border to the southernmost point of Florida, Key West. That's how large this city is. It's not a country, though many countries are much smaller than this city. It's not a country. This is the city of God. This is New Jerusalem. 2,250,000 square miles made of the finest metals and precious stones. 2,250,000 square miles. And church, that's just the bottom floor. You can't even fathom this. Because God revealed to John that the height of this city is as tall as it is wide and deep. So it's like a perfect cube. It's squared on all sides. And and this makes sense because it's kind of like what we read about in 1 Kings. I think it's 1 Kings, the inner sanctuary of Solomon's temple. The Bible describes it as it is perfectly square. If the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, is perfectly square, why wouldn't he create his new Jerusalem, his city where Jesus will rule and reign from, as being perfectly square? One commentary that I read said that this great city, get this, will be 3,375,000,000 cubic miles. That once you had all the layers of this city, this perfect cube of a city, uh, that, that, that reaches as far as from the Atlantic to, to Colorado, from Canadian border to the southernmost tip of Florida. That city, once you had all of the levels of it, all of the square footage, everything combined, 3,375,000,000 cubic miles. Let me, let me just tell you what that means. If 100 million people live there, each person could occupy 2,000 square feet of their own space to call their own. Like, you don't have to share that with anyone. Now, that's not biblical, okay? But if, if 100 million people lived in that city, there's enough room that each person would have their own home that's 2,000 square feet. That's how large the great city of New Jerusalem will be. But church, that's just the capital city. He revealed to John that there will be a new earth, a whole new planet to occupy. Think about this. Other cities, other places to visit, we will get to see the beauty and splendor of God's creation without blemish the way he meant for us to see it. The next thing I want to point out to you that I think is a misconception about heaven is this. Heaven is not one big worship service that just lasts for all eternity. That turns some people off. Because some of you checked out on the third song today. Like you were done. 
You're like, man, come on. What really? We got, a, we got a, another zone? Seriously? Let me let you in on a secret. We're going to do another one before we walk out of here, okay? Go ahead and prepare your hearts now. But that's not heaven. I'm letting you know, not, not like we see worship, not how we classify it, not how we define it. Sure, there are going to be moments of worship, but, but if you're one of those people that, that you check out, just, just relax because heaven is not a 24-7 worship service that lasts for eternity as we know it. And, and I think the reason why we get confused with that is that you have to understand what worship truly is. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This means with their whole heart, their entire being. In Romans 12 and 1, we we get an idea of what this looks for. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He said, if you want to know what your spiritual worship is, then you have to present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You live your life that way, and every day you walk and you just worship God. That's what true worship really is. This verse indicates that that true worship is a life lived, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God. And church, I suggest to you that our presence in heaven proves that we trusted him in this life and we worshiped him with our lifestyle and then we will have all of eternity to do the same in heaven. That, that's what, what, what 24-7 in heaven is truly going to worship or, or truly going to look like. Think about it. With no temptation to live self-serving or self-indulgent, That's what we have now. That's the reason why we struggle sometimes to worship him 24-7 with our lifestyle is because we are self-indulgent, self-serving. But in heaven, we will live in an environment where sin and the effects of sin will no longer be an issue. That should make some of you happy. That should make some of you say, praise the Lord right now. You should amen a preacher right now just because I said that. Like there's going to be a day when we as believers are in heaven and the effects of sin will no longer, no longer affect us at all. You know, for some of us, it's, it's those temptations, those struggles that we battle with every day of our lives. And we're just like, man, I, I just can't shake this. And I want you to hear me. We've got to pray. Those daily struggles that we have, the daily sin that, that, that so easily, easily entangles us and, and, and besets us, those, those, those sins, we have to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome those things. And the reason why we need to do that this side of glory is because we're called to be witnesses of what he's done in our lives. And so we get to overcome those things here so that we can be a testimony to others because our whole job is to take others with us there. And so don't stop praying against those things. Don't stop asking the Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome those things. But, but let me just give you some, 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 some great courage right now. And, and as I just encourage you that those struggles that you battle with daily, once you get there, they will no longer have a pull on you. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Dear friends, he says, We are already God's children. How many of you are thankful that you're already God's children? Amen? He says, we are already God's children, but I love this part. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. In other words, you haven't seen the best of me yet. The struggles that I have right now in my life, 
they're no longer going to be the same struggles. Those, those things that you battle with day in and day out, when you get there, they will no longer be the battles that you have to face. He says, we're God's children now, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Listen, we used to sing this song when I was growing up. I know this whole thing is old school, but we used to sing, he's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. Anybody know that one? Three of us. Okay. Um, wow, there's actually some of you. That, we just need to have an altar call right now. Some of you just need to get saved if you don't know that song. He's still working on me, church. I'm not who I need to be. I'm better than I used to be. But he's not finished. He still has his chisel out. He is still working the imperfections out of me. But at the moment that I step foot in glory, that day that I am in everlasting life through Jesus Christ, I promise you this, Rocky McKinley will be made perfect. And if you are a believer, you too will be made perfect. And those struggles that you walk through life with, they will be yesteryear. They will be forgotten. They will be separated from you. And you'll never have to worry with them again. With that being said, I will not neglect the fact that there will be moments of demonstrative worship in eternity. I know this for a fact. There's no doubt in my mind that there will be moments where you, as a believer, when you are walking the streets of gold, when you are experiencing the new heaven and the new earth, and, and, and whether you live in New Jerusalem or you choose somewhere else to live there, I don't know how all that's going to work out and who gets what address and all that, but, but here's what I do know. There's going to be moments when you see Jesus that you're going to want to worship. In Revelation 21 and 5, Jesus said that in eternal life, he is making all things new. It says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Say new. Come on, say it again. Say new. The Greek word that's used there in Revelation 21 and 5, the Greek word used for new is the Greek word kainos. It means new in the sense of fresh and unused. Now, this is a very interesting phrase. I'm making all things new is what Jesus said. I'm going to do my very best to break this down for you because if you can grab hold of this, you'll understand a little bit more about eternity. Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things fresh, unused. This is the same Greek word that Jesus used in referring to fresh wineskins, that you, you can't put new wine and old wineskins. You have to have new wineskins, fresh wineskins. It's the same Greek word that's used, kainos. It's kind of like that young love feeling that you have when you first start dating someone. I know some of you are getting old like me. But do you remember the days of, of, of dating? That puppy love? You remember where they can't do anything wrong? And you just love being around. You want to be around them 24-7. Like that, they're so special. They're so great. And you want to spend all day with them. If you could, you'd spend all night. But, you know, you can't. And so you separate and you go each to your own house. And, and then as, as soon as, as you get in bed, you, you call each other. Because you just want to hear. You miss his voice or her voice so very badly. You just saw them 20 minutes ago. But 
you know, and, and you fall asleep on the phone listening to each other breathe. You remember those days? Remember? You know, they're, they're just, they're special. They're just, but they have a special place in your heart and you love them so much and then you get married. <laughs> what once was fresh has now spoiled. <laughs> the things that used to be cute about her, now they drive you insane, like you can't stand them anymore. And remember women when at one time he would not like, like belch or I can't, I can't say fart. <laughs> Mandy says I can't say fart, so I'm not going to use that one. But, you know, Mandy, I'm not going to say toot. I'm not. They'll take my man card away from me. I'm not saying toot. Let me just put it like this. Remember, he used to do some things, or he wouldn't do some things in front of you that now he like, has the freedom to do, or at least in his mind he does. And then he blames it on the dog. But it's okay because the dog's not going to heaven. You know? so, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. You, know, you know what I mean. It's, it's like at first in that relationship, there was this newness. It was, it was fresh. There was no wrong. It was, it was all so perfect. But over time, we know. I mean, listen, Mandy and I, I know we're not where we were when we were dating, but the love is deeper. It's different, right? But I can promise you there's some things about me that Mandy doesn't care for, and I know there's some things about her that I don't care for, but you learn to live with those things. If only the relationship could stay so, so fresh, new, this word that Jesus uses here on making all things new and eternal life, when Jesus says, behold, I make all things new, make, I make, it, it is a present tense verb. We don't always translate it the same in English, but in Greek, this, this verb is, is present, active, and indicative. And what I mean by that is, in other words, in eternity, Jesus is going to cause everything. Hear me out. Here it is. Behold, I make all things, I make all things new. Present, active, indicative. In eternity, Jesus will cause everything to be in a current, right now state of renewed freshness. That means it never spoils, it never grows old. No, it's always fresh, it's always new. For years, our family has, has loved Walt Disney World, specifically the Magic Kingdom. When our kids were younger, we used to go there every year for their birthday. And I have read many books on, on, about the life of Walt Disney and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff of, of the Magic Kingdom and Disney World. And it's, just, it's always been something I've been fascinated with. And, and one of the things that, that blows my mind is that every night, when the guests leave the park, every night... There are people that walk around with paint cans and paintbrushes. And if you've ever been there on Main Street, there, there are these, these um, uh, uh, the, the horse poles. What, what do you call them? The, what is it? Hitching posts. Thank you. Thank you. Takes another Disney lover to, to know it. So. The hitching posts down, down Main Street, they're all green. And every night, every night, the hitching posts and the light poles, they all get a fresh coat of that green paint so that the next day when people walk in, it looks fresh. It looks new. It doesn't look worn and tattered. It, 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 it's fresh. 
And Jesus said in this present tense verb that in the afterlife, in, in, in eternity, for the believer, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. Like it's always new. It's never not new. It's never stale. It's, it's always fresh. It's never messed up. It's always perfect. He said, I am putting it in a right now state of renewed freshness, and it will always be that way. Now, think about it. Think about it. If this is what Jesus is doing, then every bite of food that we take in heaven, and you will eat in heaven, by the way, for those of you that that's like a, a, a hobby of yours, you like to eat. It's, it is for me. I love to eat. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but man, I love to eat. I do. But when you get there, it's like every bite is always going to be like the first bite. Anybody like to eat the same stuff over and over and over like that's all you do? Like my daughter? It's like pasta and chicken fingers. Every restaurant we go to, pasta and chicken fingers. Kendall, when you get to heaven, every bite of pasta and chicken fingers will always be fresh and it will be like the first time that you ever had it. That's what heaven is. Behold, I'm making all things new. We're not going to get tired of the same old, same old. Because, you know, eternity is a long time, right? I mean, it, it's not just food that we would get tired of. Can you imagine being around the same people for all eternity? But when he makes all things new, that means relationships like Every day, relationships will be made new. They're not going to be tired and wanting. You're going to be excited to see that person. And by the way, Scripture says you'll be known as you were known. You're going to know people in heaven. You're going to know who they are. And, 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 and you're not going to get tired of those relationships because Jesus is constantly renewing them and making them fresh. But, but think about this. If, if this is true, if this is true, if this is what he's doing, if he's making all things new, Think about that first time that you get to see Jesus face to face. Like you haven't done that yet. You haven't been able to see him physically face to face yet. But how overwhelming is it going to be in that moment that you finally get to see him face to face? Have you ever thought about it? Because this has to be one of the greatest experiences that a person will ever be able to experience. I read this article this past week of these three young boys that were inside of a pickup truck and it rolled into a reservoir near Salt Lake City, Utah. It went down a, a boat ramp into a reservoir and the, the truck just began to sink and two of the boys made it out on their own but, but nine-year-old little Paxton, he, he didn't make it out. But thankfully, there was a retired park ranger that saw from a distance, he saw the truck as it rolled down the boat ramp and, and, and to the water. And, and as it began to sink, this, this retired park ranger, his name was Joe Donnell. And, and, and Joe, he, he, he immediately sprang into action. And the report says that he dove down from the surface seven times to that truck before he could finally loosen little Paxton from the truck and bring him up to the surface, thus saving his life. It's an amazing, amazing act of, of courage 
on Joe Donald's part of, of him going down to that submerged truck and freeing little Paxton and bringing him to the surface. And, and last Sunday, just, just a week ago, last Sunday, little Paxton got to meet his rescuer for the first time. Here's a picture of it here, man. It's amazing. As they just embraced in the hospital and, and, and Paxton's father, he, he kept looking at him and, and saying, he said, how can I repay you? How can I repay you? You saved my son's life. What can I possibly do? How can I repay you? And this man looks at him and he points at, at, at little Paxton and he says, that's all the payment I need. He's alive. Can you imagine when you finally meet the one that died for your sins and paid the price so that you could be in right standing with God. Because we're not holy enough to stand in the presence of a holy God, of the holy God, of the creator of the universe. We are not holy enough to be there. And Jesus knew that. And so he came. And he became one of us. And he gave his life as a sacrifice so that you and I could experience the presence of God. So that you and I could be made right. And the same one that died for you is the one that said, In eternity, behold, I make all things new. If I could tell little Paxton anything, I would, I'd look at him and I'd say, Buddy... Don't ever forget Mr. Donald. Don't ever forget him. That man risked it all to save your life. Every time you see him, you express gratitude. You show your appreciation. Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. And so I know that that moment that I see him walking towards me, I know that I'm going to fall and worship to him. I won't even be able to stand up in his presence. I know this. I know that I'm going to worship the one who gave it all so that I could live. Like he didn't want anything else in return. Just that I would have everlasting life and know it and, and look forward to it and set my eyes on it. That, that, that's what he wants from me. That's it. But that's the first time I see him. But if every experience in heaven is made new, like if he continues, just, just like it's always fresh, it's always new, like if, if that's the case, then I have a feeling, church, that every time I see Jesus coming towards me, that I'm going to fall in worship. Because how could I not, if that experience is made new every time how could I not express my gratitude to him once again, to the one that made my life new and saved me from a devil's hell? Because remember, last week, that's what I told you. Jesus told them, he said, that hell is prepared for Satan and his demons. It's not prepared for us, and he's the one that saved us from it. If you really want to know what eternal life will be like, then you got to go back to the beginning of the book. I preach a lot out of Genesis. And the reason why is because it seems like we really started messing some things up after Genesis. We made a mess of it pretty, pretty early on. But if you want to really know what eternal life is going to be like, it's 
it's really in the first few chapters. You go back to the Garden of Eden. You go back to God's masterpiece of creation, his prized possession, Adam and Eve, humanity. When you go back to the beginning, you'll realize that there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no grief, there was no despair, there was no aging. There's no aging. There's no aging. I sat at a kid's birthday party yesterday, me and another old man like me. And all we did was sit there and talk. He was in first service. All we did was sit there and talk about how our bodies are not what they used to be. In heaven, in, in, in eternal life, there's no aging church. Therefore, there's no aching bones and there's no aching muscles. Jamie, that means there's no more excuses on why I can't show up for CrossFit. Man, I get it. I get it. There's no failure in heaven. You don't have to worry about that. You will not fail. You understand that, right? There's no failure in heaven. There's no crime in heaven. There's no deceit in heaven. There's no ill intent in heaven. Therefore, there's no politicians in heaven. It's just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm sure there might be too. And that's stretching it. But, but no, no. I say that in jest. You go back to the beginning and it's how life was designed by God to be lived. And even though we messed it up and we put our trust in the Lord of lies, Satan himself, he wouldn't leave us there and he said, behold, I'm going to make your life new, your life fresh. And he said, and by the way, for all eternity, I'm going to continue to hit that refresh button. It's always going to be new. It's always going to be fresh. Through eternal life, church, we will return to the original design. And, and, and just to prove to you that it's like going back to Eden, it's like going back to how it was, we were created to live, Listen to the end, Revelation 22 and verse 3. Let me read verses 1 through 3. I know I only gave you guys, you worked it in. Let's go ahead and read it here. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. Where's the last time we heard of the tree of life? It was in the Garden of Eden at the beginning. He said, On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. He's creating a new earth, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. He said, The leaves from this tree are used for medicine to heal the nations. But here's my favorite part, verse 3. Listen to this. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Nothing. Like there's not one thing that the curse will be attached to. Not you, not me, not this planet, 
we live on a cursed planet right now. If you want to know why sickness, disease, earthquakes, famine, for all of you that have that question of, of if he's such a good God, why does he allow these things to happen? You have to understand that because of, of, of the original sin of humanity, this, cur- this planet is cursed. And right now we live on a cursed planet. I, I, there's no other way to put this. But he says there, no longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. Wherever God is at, wherever Christ is at, there cannot be a curse in eternity. The curse is abolished, church. Life is new again. In a sense, it's a return to Eden. But this time, it's different. Because this time, God has a family. It started in Eden when he created Adam and Eve. But he said, be fruitful and multiply. Give me a family. We've talked about that in the series. God wants children. And understand this. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He considers all of us eligible to become his children joint heirs with Christ. That means we get that inheritance of eternal life through Jesus. There are no grandchildren with God. Only children. And this time around, God's got a family and he is going to to, uh, 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 punish Satan. Satan will be nowhere in the picture. And, 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 And the effects of sin, the effects of temptation, none of that stuff will come into play. And we will get to live life pure the way that he designed it in the presence of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you want to go there? Father, thank you, Lord, for preparing a place for us. Christ promised that if I go, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. Thank you, Lord. You have not forgotten us. You have not forsaken us, but you've prepared a place for us. And Lord, my prayer right now is that people all over this room, Lord, that they will feel eternity pulling at their hearts right now. You've put that in all of us. Let them feel eternity pulling, Lord. And if they're not ready to meet you, if they're not ready for that, that great day of judgment, Lord, if they're not ready to stand before a holy God with Christ as their advocate, Lord, I pray that before they walk out of this room or by the time they stop viewing this service, Lord, that they will know that their name is included in that role, Lord, that they'll know that Christ is their Savior, that they know that their sins have been forgiven, that they'll know that they have eternal life through Christ. So, Lord, pull at our hearts right now. Draw us in. Draw us in, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.